0: Start when it's touched, Havlicek touches it. It begins. Three seconds. Hondo off
1: the goal. He's got it in a second. John Havlicek won it. It's Pierce. Is this the target? Johnson gets it into Bird. Rufus is there. Bird comes free. Bird for the layout. You are watching what greatness is all about. Celtics have led the entire game by the on and advanced to the conference finals. Brown, the jump shot. puts it in. PJ Brown, the unlikely hero. The call. They're going to give the ball to Detroit. Byrne steals it. Johnson, play Boston. One second left.
2: All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are yet again. Welcome to Celtics Beat. I am today's host, Matt Rury. I will be here for you for the next hour with the one and only Larry H. Russell. You can find Celtics Beat on Twitter at Celtics underscore Beat. And, of course, this wonderful network we're on is CLNS Radio. It is on Twitter at CLNS Radio and on Facebook.com slash CLNS Fans. I am at Team Green Truth on Twitter. And, Larry, you, sir, are CLNS underscore LHR. Welcome in, and uh, it's an honor to be with you.
0: Well, I I I don't know how I can follow up that. I'm just, I never thought I'd ended up being on this show. Even though you know I'm just sort of always around the show, but yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Here we are. I'm just happy. Hey, it's March first, right? The lights at the end of the tunnel. Not a that's right. Not not just spring, but also the end of the season too. We can, it's it goes hand in hand.
2: That's right. That's right. Only seven, seven full weeks of uh, regular season, I guess, left. Or is it eight? Eight weeks. Eight full, eight full weeks of uh, the regular season left. No, I was right the first time. Seven.
0: Tax day. Just, just Se- remember that. That's yeah, the easy that's thing to remember. Seven full it's, weeks. It's, Excuse it's, me, it's, folks. Ta- of course. Once you get tax day out of the way, it's usually even. I'm the looking at my seasons. calendar here,
2: and it's confusing me for the first time in my life. Anyway, it's like I've never seen one before. Anyway, there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, A lot going on with the Celtics this week, specifically with their captain, Larry. And uh, I don't know how how much I'm going to say on this show because I don't want to bash the guy too much. But I just think it's yet another signal uh, of of sort of the prima donna uh, in Rajon Rondo. And for those of you that did not hear, uh, if you're in tune with the Celtics, I'm sure you know. Last week, Rajon Rondo skipped the sacrament, the trip to Sacramento to play the Kings. Now he wasn't going to play in the game and he knew that, but uh, by all indications, he asked permission to stay behind in Los Angeles and Brad Stevens told him he had to come with the team. Uh, He decided he was going to stay behind anyway. And since then the Celtics have uh, handled it internally and they're not going to say what's going on. But Larry just yet another flaw in Rondo's persona that we've seen over the past few years.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think everybody should be disappointed in Rondo no matter what. Now I mean you can say what you want about how the whole thing is, you can say what you want about the media. You can say what you want about the Celtics. I don't know why I mean even even I'll say this. I don't know why Danny Ainge just went out of his way to go to Steve Bolpet and tell him that this happened. This if this was just you know, done quote unquote internally like they said they did it, no one would know about it. I mean, there might be some leaks in the media, but um, if you think back to say the summer of '09, when there were those rumors of Rondo being traded to Detroit, and in fact they were really more than just rumors. That was a legitimate trade. That was, but uh, Detroit um, declined it. The Celtics, um, they they were very frustrated with Rondo as well as he played in the playoffs that year. He had his breakout playoffs. They were very frustrated with him, and because he was like showing up late to practice, he just really wasn't being, you know, a good team guy overall. And Doc really wasn't happy with him back then, and but no one really knew about it because there weren't these leaks to the media. And it's now more than just leaks; it was it was aimed by himself. But that's just we'll talk. We can talk about that later. Back to what you said, right? You have to be disappointed, in Rondo. They've really just gone out of their way over the last year and a half, two years, by by saying even when Garnett and Pierce were here, he's the leader, and now they made him the captain. Yet he's still. I mean, this this isn't stuff that, I mean, he, he should be doing. I don't think there's any argument to that.
2: It's not very professional. I mean, you're supposed to be the captain. You're supposed to be the leader. You're supposed to be the guy that the other players look to, whether they're Gerald Wallace, who, unfortunately, uh, we should let you know, of course, is out for the season. We're going to get to that in a few minutes as well. Uh, he has a torn meniscus. But if whether you're Gerald Wallace or you're Brandon Bass, who's been around the league for quite some time, or you're Avery Bradley, who is a guy that hasn't really been on the floor very much, but he's been here next to Rondo his whole career. Or if you're one of the rookies, or even Jared Selinger for that matter, it doesn't matter who you are on the team. The point is, they all are supposed to look to the captain to set an example for how you are a professional, how you address address the team, how you interact with the team, how you go about your business. And in every aspect of life, no matter what your job is, you need to ask permission most of the time, or at least say listen, I'm going to take time out of the time that I've earned and use a day here, and as long as you let somebody know, there's never a problem it doesn't, the same thing goes for Rajon Rondo, it doesn't matter that he's in the NBA, some of these guys feel entitled very often, and this just sort of seems to be blatant disregard for his coach telling him he needed to come with the team
0: uh (laughs) I mean, we, we all saw that segment. Obviously, we, you know, Jared Weiss had it up on the YouTube channel. If you can just go to YouTube.com slash CNS Radio if you want to you watch the video where, where um, Brad Stevens said, yes, uh, we talked to he – he said we talked to uh, Rajon Rondo before and after. So when he says that, he said I talked to him before. That basically means no, you can't go and after obviously he just said, what what are you doing so Rondo, yeah, I mean he 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 probably asked from from what I've made out with that of the uh, video, he probably asked Stevens if it was something he could do, and Stevens said no, and he did it anyways, so right. uh I mean so that makes me wonder,
2: do you think Brad Stevens questions the fact that he gave Rajan Rondo the captaincy so early he didn't even step on the court and he was already the captain uh well,
0: from what we've been hearing is that I th- Stevens didn't even want a captain on the team, and it was just sort of that.
2: It's more because, of an age thing,
0: right? And it's just sort of like a Celtics tradition that there has to be sure. a captain. I mean, remember we talk about all the great captains in Celtics history: be it Bird and, and Havlicek and Russell, you know, ever D. Brown, Dana Barros, even Dominique yeah. Wilkins, I believe, were captains. You're right. Yeah, that's a good point. So. You know, I mean, it's just sort of another thing that they were trying to do. Just I, I wrote about this about a uh, last, I think October two thousand twelve. They were really forcing this whole leadership thing on Rondo. Remember in that training camp of the season after they lost to Miami in the last year, where they had um, Pierce and 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 Jason Terry and Garnett and and Ainge and Doc Rivers. They were all saying, and you know, he he's the leader of this team. He's the best player this whole leadership thing has sort of been forced on rondo and 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 naming him captain is sure. is is sort of just another way of doing that just telling everybody on the team that he's the captain so i i, I don't think they some of these guys have regrets now because it's sort of something that they've been you know going about now for a year or two years and it's interesting i don't know why he, they they do it you know just, uh, there's maybe there's might, there's some strategy behind it uh, in regards to his impending free agency a year and a half from now but yeah uh, you know I
2: well that's that's something that I think Danny Ainge has been doing for years now uh, and I while I tend to believe the things that Danny Ainge says I may be one of the few people that actually believe him, I also fully believe that everything he says has an agenda behind it and everything he says is for a reason whether it's even even if it is true. He could be hiding – just because you're not telling the entire truth doesn't mean you're lying. He could be telling part of, of the the thing things that are going on behind the scenes and just spinning it in a way that benefits him. And I think that that's just – he's a master of PR, and that's what he's been doing for years, Larry. So um, uh, I'm not surprised by the, the things that Danny Ainge has come out and said about this, and uh, it's, it's interesting because he knows that this team – is going to have to move on at some point if Rondo is going to keep acting like this. This is not the way that he wants a leader to portray himself on this team. But either way, Rondo's been playing well on the court for the past few weeks. However, the Celtics have not. Uh, So as you said, to sort of lead off here, thank goodness it's March 1st. While they do have an incredibly difficult game tonight against the Indiana Pacers uh, at 8 p.m., and uh, they, they are going to look forward to not going on the West Coast anymore. They only have one game on the road uh, against a Western Conference team, and that's against New Orleans on the 16th. They haven't beaten a team from the Western Conference on the road yet this season. The last time they did so was last February. So they are very happy to have the Western Conference road trips out of the way and behind them.
0: Well, one thing I think they they play Dallas the night afterwards, so that <laughs> doesn't look that in Dallas too. So, uh yeah, and, and it's and it's not only that too. You're those right, games, I missed that. You're right. Those games, games. Against, those games against those teams. I mean, some of them were brutal. Uh, I mean, they had some close losses, but I mean, remember they got pounded by the Spurs, or the Wolves, or the Rockets. Um, even a, a few of these games that they had the earlier West Coast road trip that they had, I think around the New Year's, um, I mean, they had some beatdowns. So they're not just losing games. I mean, they're they're taking beatings out west. So, yeah, I I guess that it's, I mean, it's happy. They should be happy that it's over with. I was somewhat surprised they came back. I know they beat a struggling Atlanta team, and that's an understatement calling that Atlanta team struggling. I mean, they they played well earlier in the season, but. I mean, no, they, they've
2: beaten Atlanta twice now. Maybe they, Atlanta's they, their they, medicine.
0: They can't. Atlanta can't seem to beat a YMCA team these days. And, <laughs> But I, I was actually, even though I was some, somewhat surprised that they that they won that game because that's usually a tricky game, good team or bad team. Coming back from a long West Coast road trip, that first home game back, I mean, I, I seem to remember those Garnett teams. They used to always... I remember when they when they went out. Uh, they had the Texas Triangle, the championship year. They had that great trip where they beat the they beat the Spurs. They ended the Rockets' uh, twenty two game winning streak. They beat the Mavericks on a on a game they played like a C plus game. They still won. And then they came back home. They played like some underwhelming Philadelphia team. They built an eighteen point lead. They were very flat throughout the game, and they let it get away. That was always that that game. The first game back from West Coast road trip is always a tough game. Usually sluggish. And they came out and they came out sluggish in that game, but you know what? The key play, Rondo, when he dove on the floor and, and, he, that, and he was goes, awesome, yeah. that was awesome. Yeah, that 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 vintage Rondo. That, yeah, it was shades of the Eastern Conference Finals against what was Jason Williams when he dove on the floor, dribbled, but got up, put up in the lay, put the layup in, in an absolute. I think it was Game Three when they blew him out, but that was the key play that sort of woke him up, and and they went on a pretty big run because they were down 15 like right away in that game. He just I, I wrote that game off, and this one's done too. Yeah. Chalk this one up, but they they came back and. Uh, I, that was a good win. I mean, I, I mean yeah it was. It, it, I mean it, it,
2: and for the people that like wins, even this year like me, that was a great win. I was there. I thought it was excellent. I had I thoroughly enjoyed myself in that game. If you want to give Atlanta some excuses, they were in Chicago the night before they lost that game as well. So there's an excuse for the Hawks, but uh, the, I mean Millsap did not play as well. There's another excuse for for Atlanta, if, if you want one. But as far as Rondo's concerned, Larry, Is we can give him all the crap in the world for being a poor leader and not taking charge when he needs to and being a prima donna and all that. But when it comes down to it, you said it, that play turned the game. And more often than not, Rajon Rondo is going to at least attempt to make those plays in key situations. And he proved it the other night in a, in a meaningless, literally meaningless regular season game uh, against the, the, the Atlanta Hawks. So, uh, There there you have it. you got to praise him for that. As much as you can criticize him for doing all the things that he does off the court, you have to praise him for his work on the court because he's a very unique individual uh, and a a great basketball player in my eyes. So take the good with the bad if you want. Um, You mentioned it earlier. Jared Weiss had that great interview with Brad Stevens. Everybody should go check that out on YouTube.com slash CLNS Radio. Jared does that after every home game. Uh, so he will be doing that tonight as well after the Pacers game. So check that out a little bit later tonight. And uh, speaking of that Pacers game tonight, Larry, it's uh, it's not going to be easy. You have to imagine that it, it's going to be very difficult. And coming up in a few minutes, we we have an interview that Rich Conte uh, is is going to do with uh, Quinn Buckner of the Indiana Pacers color commentary. So that that's going to be very interesting. And and I'm looking forward to hearing that. Uh, but more importantly, let's talk about this game for a, for a few minutes because obviously the Pacers are the best team in the league. Going to be a tough one for the Celtics tonight.
0: Well, hey, former Celtic Quinn Buckner, right? NBA World Champion of the That's
2: 1984 right. team. That's right. It's going to be a good interview.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think you can kind of, unless, I think Indiana really struggled the other night. I think they played Milwaukee at home and they just sort of sleptwalked to that win. You know, maybe they come in here to Boston um, and and, and maybe they do the same thing. I mean, hey, you never know. These good teams can always get tripped up on the road, uh, especially now that the Celtics have been back from this West Coast road trip. They've had a few days off. They've had practice. They've had rest. They're at home. I think it's a Saturday. I think it's 8 o'clock tonight. So, you know, Saturday night, that's, you know, that's a, that's a, a good time for a home team. Um. It's possible the Celtics could win the game, but yeah, right. I, you know, remember, remember earlier in the season, they, they fought hard against Indiana. They had that great first half, and then Indiana just sort of said, "Oh, let's 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 win this game now," and they just shut the Celtics down in the Celtics in the second half, and then they just destroyed them out there in Indiana. So, th- this uh, this this will be a, a, a tough test for uh, the struggling Celtics.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a really tough game. Very difficult game. I'm actually kind of glad I'm not going to the game tonight because it's going to be one of those games that I think either the Celtics are going to get crushed or it's just going to be painfully slow uh, and not that necessarily fun to be there. So I'll probably watch a little bit on TV, but not going to be in attendance tonight. Uh, and you know who else will not be there tonight, likely? I mentioned it earlier. Gerald Wallace. Um, and while we're sort of talking about the Pacers I want to mention him because I think for the most part uh he's one of the only players on the Celtics that would even have a sniff a hint at being able to guard Paul George so what do you think the Celtics are going to do tonight to try and stop Paul George because obviously Wallace will not be playing
0: Hey, throw Chris Johnson on the fire, right? I mean... I guess. We we hear that, oh, this could be the Celtics 3 and D guy. This could be the Celtics next Bruce Bowen or or Adrian Griffin that they dug out of the D-League and they could turn into a solid defender, hustle player. Hey, I don't know. I mean, Paul George is, what, one of the five best players in the game right now? I mean, LeBron Durant, uh, Anthony Davis, Kevin Love, Chris Paul, Paul George. You sort of throw, you know, outside of LeBron and Durant, you kind of just throw those guys all up in the air, but Oh, it's um, it's not just Paul George. I mean, it's the size that they have. What about Roy Hibbert? I mean, who do they, who do they have for Roy Hibbert? Who who?
2: True. How are they going to score I, on Roy? Yeah, Hibbert? I was I was going to start at the top with Paul George and then uh, work my way down. Roy was next though. There's literally nobody on this Celtics team that can cover him, and he's not even going to look to score. I would assume.
0: No, I mean, but he's just going to be he he's just going to be just so dominant inside, especially on the boards defensively. I'm not sure how. I mean, just it's a bad matchup, but the. The Pacers' size and toughness and depth, I mean, that's everything that the Celtics don't have. The Celtics are not a big a tall, big team. They're not a tough team. Um, so and everything that the Pacers do well, the Celtics don't do well. They're going to be able, if they're on their game, if they show up, they're going to be able to exploit uh, all the weaknesses of the Celtics. And they should, I mean, they should win comfortably against this team away in Boston or not
2: yeah I would like to think that Indiana is going to bring it uh just because they are the top team and while you're right on Thursday they kind of slept walked sleepwalked slept walked I don't know what that what the phrase would be but they did
0: not they, play well against they team. yes they, they,
3: they did they, not play well in, the Milwaukee in, at all. in
0: Gambler's Lament Matt they didn't cover the spread. Oh, um, my God. And they didn't cover it by a lot. Yeah, <laughs> we, we can talk about that on that show, so don't worry about it.
2: That's that's very true. That's very true. Um, it's it's actually a rare back-to-back weekend situation for the Pacers. So possibly maybe they will be looking forward to going back home tomorrow <laughs> to play Utah because that's their next game. No, I'm pretty sure they're not going to be looking forward or look, going to be up for that one either. So we'll see if they bring their energy this this entire weekend uh, with the game against the Celtics tonight and then Utah tomorrow. It'll be interesting to see uh, whether Indiana, yet again, comes out with a 100- to 95-point victory. Can you believe they let up 95 points to the – 96 points, excuse me, to the Milwaukee Bucks? That is a joke. 98 points to the Los Angeles Lakers. This is a defensive team. Another 100 points to the, to the Bucs uh, last Saturday, a week ago. And this this is all coming off of that All-Star break. And I'm wondering if, if since we're on the topic of the Pacers, Larry, I'm wondering if that has anything to do with it. Because since the All-Star break, they've played Atlanta, Minnesota, Milwaukee twice, and the Lakers. And they've let each one of those teams score over 90 points. That is not their M.O. I can't believe that Frank Vogel... Has, uh, is very happy about that. So comment on that a little bit and end it off. Do you think the Celtics score 90 points tonight? Uh,
0: uh, no, I don't. Um, <laughs> but anyways, it's kind of the dog days of, of the NBA season. Maybe as we get into March – Usually you got to pick it up in March. I mean, you see Miami now; they're starting to turn it on a little bit. And remember, this is exactly the same time last year when Miami turned it on last year. I remember when the Lakers win the championship; they used to always go out like on road trips. I think around this time. Oh, the Spurs, excuse me. They used to have that rodeo—that uh, way they called it the rodeo road trip. They would play something ridiculous, like eleven road games, and and they would always sort of like turn it on in March. It's sleepwalk, January, February. So maybe the Pacers. They were going hard early, and they were even admitting it too—that they were, they were. They, they're, they're going to play a hundred percent. We've got to get home court over Miami, and they know it. They need home court against the Miami Heat to beat the Heat. I think
2: they could probably still get, get it. it. That's—I mean, that's not all. Oh, well, they're—they're, they're,
0: they're, yeah. Oh, well, Miami's still right in the in, right in it, and they're—they're they're coming along now. So you know, maybe the Pacers they're— you know, it, you can say, "Oh, you got to put your pedal to the metal," but you know, they're say, you know, it's it's like being on a treadmill. It's like, oh my God, just I, I I need a breather. But there, you, you got Miami. They're still they're, they're thumping. They're coming up right now. So maybe you in, know, maybe Indiana is just just exhaling a little bit here in March. Maybe they turn it back on. Right, you know, they're going to have they're going to have time to turn it back on. They're not going to be challenged until, geez, I don't know, the end of May until they play the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, so they're going to have a lot of time where they can turn it back on. But I mean, it's it's I'm not sure um, if that's if that's the game plan. You, Miami is sort of turning it on now. This is what the Spurs used to do. The Lakers used to do. You start playing a little better now. Maybe it could be hurting them. But the Pacers went all out so hard at the beginning of the season.
2: Yeah, you never know. Alright, we're getting close to this uh, Quinn Buckner interview, so I want to humble myself just a little bit here. Uh, a lot of people that know me and that listen to CLNS Radio, whether it's my show on Tuesday nights, Careless Whispers, going to get that plug in, or uh, the post-game show here after every Celtics game, or whether it's a pre-game show, um, they know that my prediction before the season was for the Celtics to get 36 wins. Now... Some things happened that I was not expecting, and I was also uh, assuming Rondo would be back a little sooner than he was. But the Celtics would need to go 16-7 and over the next uh, two months for me to have a correct prediction, Larry. So I'm going to begin my descent down the hill and uh, start backing off a little bit here. And uh, how many wins do you think they're going to get? They need 16 for me to be right. I'm not even going to get close, am I?
0: Well, they got two against Philadelphia, and those are going to be very. Atlanta, too. And those are going to be against- uh, Philadelphia games. Are going to be very interesting because there's Philly, three. Philly seems to be, uh, you know, as it was, as uh, on, on Friday, Brian Colangelo at the at the Sloan Sports Conference actually came out and admitted that the that the Raptors uh, that he tried to have the Raptors tank, but in the way he assembled the roster, it seemed. I don't want to make accusations, but the way Philadelphia has, with the way that Sam Hinkie's been, been making his move, it seems that they're trying to lose games. So they have two against Philadelphia, I believe, in April. But I mean, March is just—I—I I don't see two wins in March. Uh, I, I know that they—they have the game against the Pacers tonight. They got, I believe, Steph Curry coming in here. They—they they have a—they have a couple against the How Nets. They have, How about
2: one game against Toronto and Detroit?
0: That that that's feasible, and there's also, I there's believe, um, I believe, I think they have a game against a game or two against Cleveland the rest of the year, and they're 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 they seems to be a team that.
2: Yep. Sure. I, so April is going to be kind. Washington, Philly twice, uh, Detroit, Atlanta. Actually, Washington twice, Charlotte, Cleveland. That April should be kind to the Celtics, but March is going to be tough.
0: Right, I just, I have, I two two and a half wins, man. I'll give you right now <laughs> two and a half over under two and a half. Ugh. Not the, looking for the, good for my 36-win prediction. March, I'm saying all of March, two-and-a-half wins.
2: All right. Uh, sounds bad to me as a guy who would like to see some victories. I hope they're hard-fought victories. Don't forget, everybody, that you can uh, get a great update in your email. It's the CLNS Radio eBlast, and all you have to do to get that is uh, text Fans to 22828. And every time we decide that we're gonna to put together one of these emails and send out information on the show, you're gonna get that uh, after you do give a, after you text that to us. You're just gonna get a text back, and you're gonna uh, send us your email, and we'll send you the eblast. It'll have all the information that you need on CLNS, uh, whether it's the garden report or updates on shows or things like that. And it's uh, it's it's very easy, and of course it's free, just like everything else here on CLNS Radio. All right, we were just talking about the Pacers. Uh, so, h- here we go. We're about to have a great interview, uh, Rich Conte, uh, with Quinn Buckner, and here you have it.
3: Our guest today on CLNS Radio: Celtic Speed is former Celtic and current Indiana Pacers color commentator, Quinn Buckner. Welcome, Quinn. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
3: Great. Hey, the Pacers have been having a great season thus far. They're sitting atop the Eastern Conference standings, a couple of games ahead of the Miami Heat. Lance Stevenson, especially Paul George, both seem to have made a leap this season. Has that been the biggest factor in the team's success, or are we just seeing a natural progression as the team as a whole matures and finds their identity?
1: Well, this team has, has been uh, put together very much like Red Arback, The late Red Arback used to put together the Celtics. As you know, Larry Bird runs our operation and, and is very much a proponent of the way Red did things. You put your core together, you had a young core with Roy Hibbert, you bring along Paul, you add uh, David West to it. You, you know, you see the development of the young people and you give yourself a chance to to go deep in the playoffs. And that's really what's occurred here. And it's been, from my perspective, you know, I've been a lifelong basketball guy, but from my, my humble perspective, watching Larry and his success has been terrific. I think it's the right way to do it. I think it's the way you can do it long term. And, and so, yeah, it's been put together. Um, That these guys can grow together, learn together, and now try to take advantage of all of that experience and and, uh, talent.
3: Yeah, I think Celtics fans, uh, of course, appreciate that. And, you know, I know most fans are looking forward to a seemingly inevitable clash between the Pacers and the Heat in the Eastern Conference uh, finals. I probably don't have to tell you who Celtics fans will be rooting for, but what do you think the keys to that series uh, will be should it come to pass?
1: Well, you know, we're way into the future on that one. I I think the. The thing with, with Miami, you've got to be able to deal with their speed. I call it pace and space. Um, uh, Eric Spoltz spent time with, believe it or not, Chip Kelly from the Philadelphia 76ers when he was at Oregon, trying to figure out how to take advantage of that. When you have somebody like LeBron James, you've got to figure out offensively, and, and any good team, how to take away their space. And the Pacers are long, and hopefully they'll be able to do that. I think on the uh, when you have the ball, you have to be very sharp with it. You have to deliver deliver it to the people uh, with crispness because uh, Miami does a terrific job in playing lanes, and you've got to be very smart and, and efficient in what you do offensively because their best offense is your mistake. What, that, what makes them great is because they can create your mistakes, so you've got to be able to limit your mistakes and really force them to play a more of a patient slowdown game, which is something they can do, but they're not nearly as good as they are in the open court.
3: Great. And based on what you've seen, which other team do you think potentially gives the Pacers the most trouble in a playoff matchup?
1: Well, I don't think you want to under, over, under overlook anybody, frankly. I think that that's a, a monumental mistake. I, I think that's where uh, I'm on the other side, uh, along with you and media. Media gets caught in looking at it that way. I think the Pacers can only look at whomever's in front of them. Chicago's going to play well. Brooklyn is really starting to find their stride. And you never know who's playing well at that point in time because – that's really what happens during the course of a season. People play well at different points in the time. and time. So if you catch somebody who's supposedly in the, the eighth or seventh spot, wherever you end up, even sixth, and you're above them, and that other team below you is playing well, you can get beaten. That's what the NBA is about, and that's what makes it such a challenge because you have to be prepared to play against everybody that plays. I know everybody's got Indiana and Miami mapped in, but I, I, there's nothing that's a given on either side.
3: Yeah, I think Celtics fans appreciate that, You know, given the experience back in 2012 with their surprise run to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. And hey, Danny Granger had been the focal point of the team a couple of years ago when they you know started down this path to being a championship contender. Of course, he was traded away at the trade deadline in exchange for Evan Turner. And I know there have been reports that Paul George in particular was upset about the deal. How big of a role did Granger play in the team development to this point and what impact has his departure had so far?
1: Okay. Well, I, my view on on Paul George is different than those reports you heard. Paul's reaction was simply he was disappointed about Danny. I don't think it was disappointed to get Evan Turner, and that's a different scenario. So let's just kind of modify that perspective. I think Paul wants to have somebody, anybody on the team that can help them win the championship. And and frankly, uh, I I think at this point, as much as I admire Danny and what he's done for the organization. You may have a better chance right with looking for what the Pacers are trying to do with Evan. Uh, Danny Granger has got to you know can shoot the ball, but he really starts struggling shooting the ball. I think what you get with Evan Turner, you get a little bit more ball handling. Which you're going to need. Uh, we talk about playing against that speed and that ability of Miami and those other teams. You need another ball handler on the floor. I think Evan does that. He's not a three point shooter, which Danny is infinitely better at that and ever will be in terms of Evan. So. You give up something, but you get something, and you got a better playmaker in that sense. So you get some things that are very positive. And I think if you look at it from from both the short term and a long term, Larry Bird, in his inevitable way, as I've known him over now 30 years, has covered his face. Because what you have is a guy that's five years younger than Danny Granger. You also have been able to really give yourself an insurance policy in case somebody says to Lance Stevenson, who's having. No uh, question, a breakout season. No doubt about that for the young man, and we're all pleased by that personally for him, but professionally for him. If somebody offers him an unusually exorbitant contract for him that he can't turn down just because it makes sense for him, then you're now back up with a guy that in Evan Turner. So uh, you cover a lot of bases with that, and, and I think you have to look at it in its totality. But back to Paul... Paul's nature is not to be mad at anybody for things like that because that's really not his personality. I think as much as anything, he's going to be pleased with the fact that he's got somebody else to help. The ball handlers, George Hill, as we just talked about, Lance Stephenson and having Evan Turner. That takes some ball handling away from what Paul has to do.
3: Yeah, and speaking of Paul George, you know, unlike many uh, highly touted lottery picks, he had the good fortune to join a team in a franchise that had some stability and, frankly, a pretty high standard for competitiveness when he came in. You know, he played around 20 minutes per game his rookie season for a team that finished a little bit south of five hundred. so he wasn't thrown into the fire and expected to carry a team right out of the gate. How much do you think that helped him in his development?
1: It oh, helps with any young person's development where you don't have to come in and carry the burden. Because I think it's an unrealistic uh, burden. And I think, and I heard Jerry Webb say this, and I thought it, and, and when Jerry says it, you know, and obviously it, it has sort of credence. Jerry said it all along. When you bring young people in, and you bring them in on teams, and you've got them in the, the first round up in the lottery, and people think, people think they're going to turn them around, that's, that's unreasonable. So to get any young man to give him a chance to mature and learn not only the business, learn himself, learn learn all of those things that you become professional with. That's what Paul had, and Danny Granger helped him with that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that advantage is that he didn't have to get pressured into having to make shots early, but he got pressured, not his rookie year, he got pressured last year when Danny was going to come back and and Paul was going to be maybe the third or fourth option, he ended up being the number one option. Mm -hmm. So I would say the fact that Danny helped carry the team prior to that kept Paul from having to jump in the front of it, but it also helped Paul when he was better prepared to take the lead, to take the lead, and now Paul is just taking that next
3: step. Yeah, he's, you know, right up there, probably top three player in the game right now. So it, you know, it seems to have a really positive impact. And I'm with you, I'm a big proponent of of the, you know, notion of given players, you know, especially these young 18, 19, 20 year olds a support system around there. I think too often we look at guys that, that come into the league and maybe don't pan out as expected and, you know, kind of point back at the GM and say, well, they, they made a bad choice there. And, you know, frankly, a lot of times it has a lot to do with the environment that the the players coming into. And of course you were yourself a high draft pick going number seven overall in the 1976 draft can you compare your experience back then with the amount of attention the draft attracts and the heavy focus put on top prospects nowadays
1: No, it's not. it's, it's universes uh, universes not universe universe is <laughs> a part <laughs> and I mean that with an S because of the the increased scrutiny uh, because of the multiple outlets particularly in sports but all over the world that look at, at people uh, in these positions, the amount of pressure that get, that gets applied because of the sum of money that you come in making, which also says about the expectations. And, and when you really uh, have those kinds of pressure, it's a very, very different environment. I went to a team that was young, fortunately, but it was young and growing, so we were able to grow together. And there was no particular pressure placed on me, though I didn't care one way or the other about mm-hmm. pressure. My sense of it was you strap up and you play. And, but I was a four-year senior who had, you know, I had an had experience, great experience. I'd been to one of the Olympics, and, you know, I had two teams that go undefeated regular season, one go all the way to the end. So My experience was very different. So I had already experienced a great deal of hope, pressure. So that wasn't something I was at all worried about.
3: Right, And uh, thanks to NBA League Pass and NBA TV fans in Boston get a chance to see your work calling Pacers games alongside Chris Denari. And I'm a big fan of the way you call the game. Many of the former players that are part of the national broadcast teams are extremely casual in their analysis and criticism of players and their focus seems to be more on the entertainment factor. And I think you, on the other hand, seem to put a lot of emphasis on being informative and insightful in your analysis. Were there any broadcasters in particular that had a significant influence on your approach to calling a game?
1: Um, not in that sense. I, I I come from a family of educators, and I'm the only non-educator in my my family by trade. And one of the things that I've I've tried to pride myself on is is what I call edutainment, mm-hmm. and that's what that's what I do in television. I, I I have a good time because I'm literally having you know if somebody asked a small town kid from a, a very small town in Illinois, will you ever be doing some professional basketball team game as a living? I would have said no. So what I do, I thoroughly enjoy doing. What I feel is is, is really important, and at the the absolute essence of what I do, is I'm responsible to tell you the truth Mm -hmm. as I see it. And and for that, I'm very, very blessed. So I I keep it in that context. this This is about this game that has done great things, both for society and for people and myself included. But at the end of the day, it's about the listeners and the watchers and the people looking at the game. They want the truth. So I try to share that and try to do it in a way that they can completely enjoy the game.
3: Yeah, I think that really does come across. Now, Quinn, in your current role as a broadcaster, do you have much opportunity to interact with Larry Bird? And how big of a mark has he left on the Indiana franchise? And if they win a title this season, do you see him riding off into the sunset?
1: First of all, I'm I making a mark. They leave in Boston. Larry, Larry leaves a mark. I mean, he does. He is a mark everywhere he goes. I mean, he is, you know, I, what, what always interests me, I mean, I, I see Larry often, but I don't, and I, it's just that we see each other, but we've been 30-year friends, so I don't have to go down and sit with him every day and, and talk to him for he to know that I'm, I'm his friend and vice versa. What I do think, though, is, is he has done almost exactly what he did playing. He's done here, because he does it with the same consistency, and it's one of the things that made our relationship what it is, that made me kind of gravitate to him as I was getting traded to Boston, was he's a man of consistency and candor. And what interests me about watching people around Larry is what they do is they mistake a a, a dialogue for intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I and it's so completely opposite that it's a disarming, I think, factor that works strongly in Larry's favor for his success. Uh, he's done a terrific job. We see each other when we kind of see each other. We don't. We don't make a real effort to go see each other. When we do, we'll talk. We'll catch up on the old times. You know, being in Boston and playing and and our lives and our family since. So it's, uh, it's. 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 I tell you again, I'm a small town kid from a little town in Illinois, but I'm living. I'm living the drink. That's
3: great. And you played alongside, of course, Bird as well as Kevin McHale and Danny Ainge. Does it surprise you that these guys have all had pretty prominent prominent post playing days careers as coaches and executives in the league?
1: Well, all of them are very smart, so that part doesn't didn't surprise me. What surprises me more than anything is the way Kevin used to be with coaches is that Kevin and coaches. <laughs> Danny, Danny, on the other hand, is actually doing probably what I thought he could do. She knew Danny was smart, and Danny, what I always liked about Danny is Danny sees the world a little bit, just slightly differently, which is, I think, the way you have to look at it because otherwise you're following everybody else's footsteps so you don't get a chance to really accomplish a lot. So that's why... You know, the people see Danny take what they think are chances. They're not chances for Danny because he's mm-hmm. thought it through for the most part. So the only one that surprises me is really Kevin and coaching and being in it, you know, as long as he's been in it. But I think Larry running the front office doesn't surprise me. And I say the same for, for Danny Ames. That's something that you can imagine Danny doing somewhat because Danny was trying to run the team when he was, you <laughs> know, younger than most of the guys on the team. He's always tried to do that.
3: Yeah, I think Celtics fans are kind of counting on a little bit of that risk taking as they're in a rebuilding phase now. And OK, one one last question. Um, over the summer, there were reports that new Celtics coach Brad Stevens sent a letter to every former Celtics player emphasizing how you are all still part of the Celtics family and, and welcoming them to connect up with the organization at any time. Did, did you get a letter and, and what did you think about it as well as about the hiring of Stevens in general?
1: it was it was typical Brad and I mean that in the, the most positive sense of the word he's a class act and I'll tell you what they they pulled the coup here because their coach is a good he's a great guy and he's a really really good coach and yes he did send it and it was very nice and I'm sure most guys who have not had the opportunity like myself to go back and back to Boston because uh, we do I do games there it was it was nice for that to happen, but those are the kind of things that that Brad does. Just because he's a, he's a nice man.
3: Great. Well, thanks for taking the time to join us today, Quinn. And I think I speak for many Celtics fans in saying that we hope to see your Pacers in the finals this June. And folks, you can catch you. Quinn's great work on Fox sport Indiana and follow him on Twitter at Quinn Buckner. Thanks, Quinn.
2: All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. Thanks, Rich. And uh, here we are again on Celtics Beat here on CLNS Radio. And that, as you know, was Rich Conti interviewing Pacers, color commentator uh, Quinn Buckner, of course, a former Celtics player as well. And uh, Larry, he mentioned some things about the, the Celtics in that interview. Rich had a lot of great questions. Uh, one of the ones that really stood out to me was how he responded uh, regarding some of the former Celtics players that are currently in the NBA with, uh, with jobs Kevin McHale, Danny Ainge, being one of the guys he mentioned. Of course, Larry Bird with Indiana. Um, from that question, what what stood out for you?
0: Well, I mean, McHale is coach. Uh, I mean, he 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 coached. Uh, I believe out at the end of his career or the end of his tenure in Minnesota, um, as sort of that thing was sort of unwinding for him in the mid two thousands. But um, I mean, it's right. He's right. Quinn's right. Uh, Rich was uh, smart to bring that question up. You remember that? That Celtics. Well, not remember, but I mean, as we you know, we saw when we watched we watched them play, whether back then or even if we watched the game say on ESPN Classic. I mean, that was a team that was. I mean, the IQ on the team of all the players. I mean, not even not even the guys that have jobs uh, in the NBA now, like Danny Ainge and uh, you know Kevin McHale and and Bird, but I mean guys like Dennis Johnson, and I mean even guys like uh, Jerry Shing. Who had a very high IQ, and I believe he coached under Kevin McHale in Minnesota for you know just I mean a little bit there. So uh, you know I I mean I I thought that was uh, you know I mean it was just it was really no surprise. I mean
2: yeah, I thought it was a great question as well. That's why I led with it, Uh, and he I I enjoyed what he had to say about Danny Ainge when he said that Ainge was trying to run the team as a player back then, and he always had uh, had that GM in 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 him and he just expected that that's the way he would be. Uh, But yeah, overall, Quinn Buckner was a great interview there. Uh, Rich led the interview off regarding the trade of Danny Granger and sort of letting uh, Quinn clear the air for Paul George uh, because there were reports out there that Paul George was not happy with the Danny Granger trade, Um, and Quinn Buckner sort of made it clear there that... It wasn't necessarily that he didn't want Evan Turner to come into the team, but, of course, it's tough to lose a guy like Danny Granger, who he revealed, Quinn Buckner revealed, uh, sort of was Paul George's mentor as he came up in the league, especially his rookie year, and George really looked up to Danny Granger, so it's tough to lose a guy like that, and that's reasonable.
0: Well, Granger um, was sort of like their Paul Pierce, right? I mean, I mean, maybe not as good, but pretty comparable, Um And what I I mean by the Pierce comparison was that, I mean, the Pacers were down really for a lot of years, especially after the Malice and the Palace in Detroit, and they had to break up that team. And it took them a few years to do so. And Granger was sort of their, you know, their only guy on the team. And, um, you know, so Paul George came into the team, I think it was like 2010, I think was his rookie season, or the 10-11 season. And Granger was still a, a very, you know, a very effective player, one of the actually elite players. You just really never heard about him because the Pacers just I mean, they were just a middling team, you know, winning thirty some games every year. So yeah, George, um I mean, he must have learned a lot from him. Obviously, you know, me and you weren't there, uh you know, with the Pacers every single day back in those days, so he probably developed a friendship with Granger and you know, he was upset, uh, you know, letting him go. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not sure how much left Danny Granger, how much Danny Granger has left of the tank. Yeah, so.
2: yeah, and that's kind of what Quinn Buckner alluded to as well. He thought he seemed to say that it was a good move, and uh, that Granger was struggling to shoot, but also he was starting to lose it a little bit. So he he's getting up there. we everybody that sort of follows the NBA kind of had an idea that it was going to be time for him to go at some point. Um, it's kind of too bad that he doesn't see it through for the rest of the season because he was a, a real strong part of their core uh, as, as, young, as a young team growing. And, um, and while he, he may get a ring if they end up winning the NBA championship uh, because of, of his role on the team earlier this season, it, it won't be the same for him. And uh, it's, it's too bad to see that. But you know what? Some guys will take solace in the fact that, hey, I got traded for a guy that helped them – get even better. So if the Pacers do win the, the NBA championship, you can be sure, uh, unless he's playing against them in the finals, that Danny Granger will be rooting for them. Um, but either way, great stuff there from Rich Conti and uh, Quinn Buckner.
0: But the writing was sort of in the on the wall, too, for Granger, Matt. Um, I mean, I think exactly. Bird, right after uh, Granger came back, I think it was no more than a week after Granger when he finished rehabilitating from his injury, an injury that really kind of sidelined him for almost two years, really. Bird basically said, yeah, we're not going to re-sign him. And Danny, you know, in his years that he was here, yeah, he was a good player, but it also took him, like, a lot, you know, time really in the season to get going because he never really worked hard in the offseason like some players, i.e. Paul George, do. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it was... It made a lot of sense that Indiana was going to move Granger. Um, and as Quinn said, too, they they moved him for a player who is an insurance for a guy, Lance Stevenson, another player who developed uh, for them in, the, in these past think, two years. He had that big breakout game against the Knicks in the playoffs last year and really carried it over into this season. They, I mean, they made the move really to get Evan Turner, who I mean, I'm not a fan of. I'm really – I just – he's an inefficient – Guard who can't shoot from the outside. I just, but I mean, say what you want about him. He is still a decent player. They made a move as insurance that you know maybe they might lose a guy like Lance Stevenson this off season, who who could get a big contract offer as he's a restricted free agent. So,
2: yeah, you know, Evan Turner is, is definitely a, a player that I think either you love him or you hate him. And for anybody that's that watches the 76ers or lives in Philadelphia or has been following this kid. Uh, I think he gets a bad rap sometimes because he's been on such a bad team. He's only played two games with the Pacers since since the trade, uh, one against the Lakers and one against Milwaukee. And his minutes, obviously, this is without it goes without saying, his minutes are going to get cut drastically uh, now that he's in playing in Indiana. But I think if he can find a way to be efficient in those minutes, with in those minutes, which he has uh, in the first two games with the Pacers, I think he can. Actually, he was two for ten against Milwaukee, but he did have six rebounds. Uh, But I think if he can find a way to be efficient within that offense, he's definitely going to be something that improves them and has the potential for sure to be better than Danny Granger this year. So I like the move for them. Long term, maybe not necessarily, but I think you you said it. They shored up the position, and if anybody gets hurt or – uh they need him to step in at any point. I think he's he's a good candidate to do so. So I think they definitely gotta win in that regard.
0: Uh I mean I, I hate to say it, but I think Evan Turner is sort of like he's sort of like Jeff Green. He's he doesn't really have one, you know, aspect of his game that he can rely on, you know, night in, night out. I mean, I know Quinn talked about his ball handling ability. I mean he's a good ball handler for a guard. He's not a great ball handler but at the same time he's he doesn't have an outside shot which i mean kind of doesn't work in today's nba game especially for a guard i mean he can get to the rim okay not great he's a he's a good rebounder for a guard but not a great rebounder overall in terms of just a, a basketball player he's one of these he, he You know, sort of -of jack-of-all-trade guys, and those, I just, I I never really thought they really worked in the NBA. I know Antoine Walker was like that, Jeff Green's like that. When you don't have something that you can rely on night in and night out, especially when your shot isn't following, isn't falling, excuse me, then, I mean, you don't really have a a good place, I mean, on the floor.
2: Well, he's only going to be playing 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes for them anyway, so uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one. And sort of my, I guess my final thought here on this Quinn Buckner interview uh, is just how down to earth he seems to be and how truthful he tries to be during the games. Um, and he just was very open, uh, about so just the way he, uh, approaches his profession and how he was so humbled by just the ability or the, the, op- the opportunity, I should say, to do what he does. So, uh, Good to hear things like that. It's kind of refreshing he, to hear that a, stuff.
0: He's a great announcer. Um, it was funny when I was living back in my my old home. Um, you know, growing up, I had you know remember those big, gigantic, hideous like 50 inch televisions. Yet they were they probably weighed as much as a piano. We had surround speakers like when Bose first came out. Not first came out, but these surround speakers in the uh, in my in my living room and. And uh, back in that uh, Lakers-Sacramento uh, Kings series, that great, come um, on, not great, because everybody knows the circumstances of it. But the conference finals that they played, and uh, Quinn was doing color comment, uh, was doing color commentary with uh, the, uh, the late Jim Duran, the old uh, Bulls announcer, on ESPN Radio for that series. And that series aired on NBC, and it was Marv Albert, and it was uh, Bill Walton, who I liked, but it was also Steve Snapper Jones, who I hated. So, I used to mute um, Marv Albert, Bill Walton, and Snapper, and I would put on Quinn Buckner and Jim Duran, and they were completely tuned in to uh, the actual play. And so, I listened to that whole series. I watched every minute of that series. It was it was a lot of fun. I mean, obviously, we didn't enjoy the result, we didn't enjoy some of the circumstances in the series, but I, I, I listened to every minute to uh, Duran and, and Buckner. That's really how I first came across him. And yeah, he's. He's, he's one of the best in the business, and it was pretty cool having him on Celtics beat.
2: Yeah, that's good stuff. I'd I love to hear it. And, of course, having a former Celtic on CLNS Radio is always a, a fun time. And while I'm talking about CLNS Radio, I might as well tell you all that you should go check us out on iTunes, check us out on Stitcher. What's Stitcher, you say? Well, if you've got an Android phone, you should download Stitcher, and you can listen to all the CLNS Radio podcasts you want Uh, but when you do that make sure you rate us high low we don't care what kind of a rating you give us but it's probably gonna be high we know subscribe review all that good stuff and uh, you get all the the great content right there on your phone your iPhone or your Android all right Larry now it's time for a great segment I'm gonna nail it this time my second go around it's the NBA in five here we go Carmelo Anthony says that a lot of things are going to be thought about that's a quote in free agency
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Over the summer, I was uh, talking to a little somebody in the know out in Los Angeles. And uh, as there was a lot of talk about how Carmelo's going to be leaving New York or if the Knicks don't do well, he told me it's all nonsense that Carmelo's going to be staying in New York. I don't know. Maybe things have changed. The Knicks have just been completely dreadful this season, Matt. I'm not sure, but... You know everything. We, he's sending mixed signals now, as opposed to in the summer, I got uh, what seemed like a clear signal that Carmelo was yeah. sending in New York.
2: Yeah, I don't blame him because they're te- they're terrible right now. They've been really awful, and uh, he, I think that he's going to be he's going to have a lot of suitors out there, and he can help somebody. Uh, I'm just not so sure uh, he's going to win a championship without playing defense.
0: <laughs> hey, who knows? Maybe the Celtics get involved if they can somehow, have huh, wink, wink, uh, end up with <laughs> Kevin of Love. How about this 2011 lottery pick, Jimmer Fredette, bought out by the Kings. It sounds like the Bulls are close to wrapping him up.
2: That's uh, very interesting because I was saying the other night on my show that if uh, somebody were to get Jimmer Fredette, that they may be able to find a way to unlock his shot if they find find a way to put him in the right spots and get him the ball in the right situation. So he could end up being a solid scorer for a playoff team. I mean, he's not going to put the Bulls over the top. Uh, But going forward, if they sign him to a multi-year deal, I think that he could fit in.
0: Oh, I think Jimmer Fredette has Steve Kerr, J.J. Redick, um, you know, all over him. I mean, remember, it took Kerr many years, really. He was on Cleveland. He really didn't do a thing. He just sat at the end of the bench where he hit that half-court shot against the Celtics in the playoffs that year. But it really wasn't until he got to the Bulls a few years into his career. J.J. Redick was the same thing. He was a lottery pick. They said he was a bust like two, three years in. Orlando finally got him off the bench, and, you know, he started shooting, and series has been in the league uh, eight, nine years as a very effective role player.
2: All right, Kevin Love, who, by the way, posted a 38 PER for the month of February, for those of you that know what that is, tells GQ Magazine that he likes it in Minnesota, and the Wolves have a, quote, better team and better foundation than the Lakers.
0: Yeah, uh... I mean, Kevin Love. Ever since that interview with Adrian Wojnarowski a few years ago, where he kind of just let it all out there that he it sounded like he had no interest thing in Minnesota once his contract was up, now has sort of been saying all these nice things in magazine articles like GQ, Wink. I mean, that's pretty interesting, uh, or wherever, wherever he, uh, wherever it is. Yet every single leak that there is out there that uh, Love's unhappy with Minnesota, which of course makes sense. I mean, he's in. In fact. He may be saying nice things about the organization. However, I believe, I think after a loss they had, I think it was in Phoenix, he started ripping some role players. I think it was Maria or someone after, you know, these guys just don't have what it takes and they're not committed. So, you know, we'll, he, he can say nice things in magazines, yet. Every single source that comes out there from pretty credible guys, like I think Ken Berger, Adrian Wojnarowski, they've all said that I mean, he has, you know, Los Angeles written all over him. So
2: <laughs> we'll see later. Yeah. I, I believe it, uh, that he likes it up in Minnesota. But you know what? If the Lakers make a couple moves in the next couple of years, he may find himself wanting to go to L.A. And wouldn't that be something? I mean, UCLA guy, obviously. Uh, they would uh, they would love to see him in a Laker uniform out there. I would hate it, though. Don't do it, Kevin. Uh, stay in Minnesota. Yeah, Come to Boston, think, buddy.
0: I don't think we'd see that. Yeah, so uh, Russell Westbrook, though, he's back for the Thunder. and Now they're starting to, uh, you know, they were, they were playing really well with with just Durant flying solo, with you know Westbrook back. What do you see there?
2: Um, it's always been interesting to me because I've always thought that what Russell Westbrook is not your t- traditional point guard, and he shoots too much, and he takes the ball out of Kevin Durant's hands too often. I'm not so sure that he makes them a better team, uh, but obviously he's an excellent superstar in the league, and when you have a guy like that, you've got to put him on the floor. So they need to figure it out with him there, and, but it might hurt him.
0: Yeah, I. I... Early in his career, I thought he had Stephen Marbury written all over him, but, I mean, he's still been he's still been pretty good, and you can't rely on, as we've seen, maybe there's been a few title teams, like I think the Mavericks in 2011 and Walton back in 77. As good as Durant is or as good as whomever is, you really can't win without that second star. So whether it's Westbrook or someone else down the road, they need someone just to take the load off Kevin Durant. He can't do it every night.
2: That's right. All right, I think this is the last one here. Karam Butler has been bought out. He will be signing with Oklahoma City to stick with them. Does he have anything left in the tank, Larry? No, he doesn't
0: have anything left in the tank. He got hurt for Dallas that year, in the, in, uh, the year they won the championship, and he's just been bouncing around the league since. He's played a few
2: good games for Milwaukee. I'm not so sure that he has nothing left in the tank, but I don't see him cracking the lineup too much in Oklahoma City, especially in the playoffs. So there you have it, folks. That's it for NBA in 5. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. The music for Celtics Beat, as always, was provided by Carlos Andres Mesa, Astra Vex, and Steph Legrado. Be sure to follow us on social media. The Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And, of course, you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio and Facebook to keep up with the show. Facebook slash CLNS fans. We'd like to thank our guest, Quinn Buckner, and of course, Rich Conti as well for doing the Quinn Buckner interview. That was excellent for you, Larry H. Russell, our executive producer and my co-host tonight. I am Matt Rory. We will see you next Saturday at 2 p.m. for another edition of Celtics Beat exclusively on CLNS Radio.